Welcome to Marketing Thought Leadership, the podcast that offers insightful discussions on thought-provoking marketing topics. Here's the host of our show, marketing consultant, speaker, author, and educator, and the president of L2M Associates, Linda Popke. Hi, this is Linda Popke, and welcome to our latest episode of Marketing Thought Leadership. We're here today with John O'Bacon, who is a leading community and management strategy consultant, speaker, and author. He's the founder of John O'Bacon Consulting, which provides company, uh, community and management strategy, execution, and coaching. He has served as a director of community at GitHub, Canonical, XPRIZE, Open Advantage, and he's consulted and advised a range of organizations. Um, John is a prominent author and speaker on community strategy, management, and best practice, and he wrote the best-selling book, The Art of Community. He's founded a primary annual conference for community leaders and managers, the Community Leadership Summit, as well as the Open Collaboration Conference. Uh, he's worked with a number of different communities and organizations, from Deutsche Bank to Intel to Sony Mobile, Samsung, and just a whole long list of others. Uh, he's also a columnist for Forbes. He's written over 500 articles across 12 different publications. So, and he has a podcast that has uh, over 2 million-plus downloads and 15,000 listeners per episode. So, Jono, welcome. Um, great to have you here. Thank you, Linda. It's great to be here. Thank you. Okay, so let's talk, first of all, we're talking about communities, and I want to make yeah. sure that we're clear what we mean by communities, because people have different versions. People think of Facebook as a community, or LinkedIn as a community, or I don't know, something else as a community. So let's talk about what you're considering a community for business, and how that would work, and then what would the benefits be? Yeah, so the way I, I tend to look at it is that communities at the, at the base level are a, a group of people who have a shared mission or ethos, or they're working towards the same broad goal. And I tend to subdivide this into three models, um, and I cover these three models in, in my new book. Um, the first one is called the consumer uh, type, which is basically where people get together because they have a common interest. So Star Trek mm -hmm. fans on a bulletin board, or it could Great. be fans of a particular product. It's people who enjoy consuming that common interest together. The second is, is what I call a champion model, which is where people want to kind of go the extra mile. So maybe they write content, maybe they organize local events, maybe they solve uh, problems and, and answer support queries, um, or they advocate for that particular community. Uh, and examples of that could be people who are passionate about the same kind of TV show, or people who are fans of a particular podcast, or you know, an area where, where the, the, the intention of the community is people working together in, in an extended way. And mm -hmm. then the third model is what I call a collaborator model, and that's where people actually collaborate together on, on, on a common project. Now, this kind of subdivides into two, into two types. One is what I refer to as inner, which is where people work on exactly the same um, project. So a good example of this is the open source revolution that swept the technology world. Uh, a good example of this is a project called Kubernetes, where 2,000 developers have worked together to build this software that's running the cloud. But right. then you also have, have, have the outer version of that, which is where people build something on top of the platform. So people building Android apps or Apple apps, mm -hmm. for example, for their, for their respective platforms. They, they are essentially building material that sits on top of a platform. And the way in which you construct each of these different types of communities is very subtly different than, than the way in which you incentivize those members as well. So, so Tim, okay, so it's interesting. It's fascinating because, um, you know, there, there's just lots of different things. And certainly we all are part of the consumer communities where there's common interests, and we probably all have our TV show or podcast, or I think also right. people, 
people with a common um, interest, such as, you know, whether you're concerned about children's health or you're concerned about exactly. um, yeah. climate change or whatever. So there's those. But let's talk a little bit about these, these inner and outer communities. Um, mm. who, who's really done this successfully in what industries? You've talked about open source, which we know about. Uh, Mozilla, yeah. I think about when I think of that. Android, Red Hat, all those companies. But give us some ideas of, of who um, has done this well and, and done a good job at it. Yeah, so the inner the inner model is uh, you know which is where people are working on exactly the same the same uh, piece of software, for example. Mm -hmm. um, there are many there are many examples. You mentioned a few there, and like like Mozilla, for example. I mean, they really shaped the open web as we know it today. Back in the in the mid nineties, yes. there was a, a worry that the web was going to become a little bit more proprietary in nature. And you know that community is one example. Didn't just work together on Firefox, but they had enormous advocacy efforts and even, you know, they had community members making crop circles to raise awareness of Firefox as an example and getting into the news. And there's a litany of examples of this. I mean, we've seen this with, with Linux, Kubernetes, TensorFlow. Um, there's, there's many of these examples. On the, on the other side, on the outer side, where people are building um, communities or people are building technology that sits on top of an existing platform, Two of the most well-known examples of this are Android and Apple, but we've also seen, for example, Salesforce have done this. They've got an mm -hmm. enormous community of people building integrations. Another example is WordPress, where people yep. build plugins that, that sit on top of WordPress, and Word, they've got 60,000 plugins, and WordPress basically runs 30% of the web. Um, exactly. What's interesting to me is that the, the nuance here is that with those inner communities where people are working on the same thing, in many cases, you've got a company who's kind of sponsoring you know, a bunch of that development work. Right. And you need to make sure that the experience of your of your of your community members largely mirrors that of the people who are being paid to work in it. So people having access to the same tools, um, people being uh, joining the same kind of meetings. And otherwise if you don't get that balance right, what happens is your community members feel like they're effectively uh, you know, cheap labor. And yeah. one of the reasons why GitHub has been so successful is because it's provided a common platform in which people can have that shared that shared level of access. Now, with the outer models, uh, people, those kinds of uh, contributors don't really care as much about being involved in the formation of the, of the core platform. Like, most Android developers don't particularly care about being involved in how Android is shaped. What they right. want is a really simple, elegant experience for how they can build their apps and how they can get them published. So, again, there's like quite a bit of nuance between two what seemingly are connected types of community, but they're actually quite different. You know, I think you're right, and, and I was with Sun Microsystems back in the old days when we created communities right. around uh, around Solaris developers, right? Um, yeah. So I think that goes back there, and, and you have this kind of virtuous circle which says the more developers you get, the more apps you get, the more you get customers, the more people like the platform. So it, it kind of just builds on itself. Um, right. But what's interesting is uh, WordPress or Salesforce or Apple or any of these people – it's in their best interest to make sure that this community maintains itself. But certainly as a developer, I want to make sure that WordPress is, is thriving. Otherwise, I'm going to right. be on a, you know, a community that's no longer relevant. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that I think is so powerful about, about communities for, for business. One of the reasons why I wrote PeoplePowered is, um, is that when, you, when you've got a product or a service of some form and when you can build a passionate community that, that, that feel like they're equals with you in, in a way, you can build a sense of meaningful engagement with your audience and they will in itself become, they will generate value, 
Like, so they will, mm-hmm. for example, answer support queries from your customers. They will, they will advocate for you. I mean, a lot of marketeers, for example, are very familiar with, with, you know, um, encouraging referrals. And right. referrals are a powerful way of, of growing a business. To me, with a community, it's kind of like taking the concept of a referral and adding a jetpack to it because it's not just the referral. It's, it's generating other kinds of pragmatic value, which, which can, from a marketing perspective, can have all kinds of benefits, which is improved search engine optimization, better brand recognition. Um, so, you know, it, what it all boils down to in my mind is, is that core relationship between the company and its customers. And the, the, the essence of all of this is that when you build a community, you're building, I think, a more meaningful, tractable relationship with your audience. And if you do it right, then you can get levels of retention and brand commitment that can last for years. I mean, a good example of this is Apple. I mean, Apple mm-hmm. got, I mean, I just went to the Apple store yesterday with my wife because she wants to get the new iPhone and it, you just couldn't get in there. <laughs> and I think part of the reason for that is Apple has figured out how to build a great product and they've got a great relationship with their customers. So. Yep. And with the, with the community that produces apps, right? Because what would an iPhone be if right. there were no apps? Right, so it's it's this well, whole yeah. ecosystem, yeah. Exactly, and 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 I think part of the reason why this is so powerful is that if you take any 100 people, the level of insight, expertise, creativity, innovation in those 100 brains is phenomenal. And when you build a community, essentially what you're doing is you're you're creating the ability to um, connect that level of insight and innovation together. And I think when you get that into a shared into a shared environment, it's pretty phenomenal what you can produce. It's that's fantastic. And and I've worked on the technology side with with um, technical support communities. So for example, software developers, users within you know a um, whether it's SAP or Oracle or uh, you know or, or any of those Salesforce, any of those types of data. So not even just the software apps or the or the add-ons, but the users who then become kind of self-regulating, right? They they start to talk about right a product or an add-on, and they become your best advocates rather than have a, someone from the company answer a question, your users start to, your customers start to answer the questions and become the, the experts. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's, um, uh, I was uh, having a conversation with actually a client of mine a few weeks ago, and um, we're kind of designing a customer community for them. You know, they want to have a much closer relationship with their, essentially, decision makers in organizations. So, like, they're a tech firm, and they've got, two communities they want to build. One is um, the people who are implementing their technology in their businesses, and mm-hmm. that's obviously a very technical community. And then the second is the people who are buying the product and uh, right. and making sure that they that they get a good experience in terms of they just don't just want to provide them with a product. They want to provide them with an experience wrapped around it. And one of the things that we were discussing was, you know, there's so much insight and expertise wrapped up in, in the minds of their customers that if we can get them to kind of parlay that into 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 the shared community, it's not only going to add a more meaningful experience for them because it's not just they're not just another vendor. Like they're they're a place where people can go to mixers and people can can get access to interesting content and material that's going to enhance enhance how they use that technology in their business. But what it does is it, it builds to your point, it builds that level of um, of commitment with your customer. So. They don't just think of you as a vendor anymore. They think of you as a set of people that they have a relationship with. Absolutely. It's like intrinsic human nature that we do this. Like, I'm sure many people listening to this have the person that they hire who power washes their backyard, the person (laughs) who cleans their windows. They've got the coffee shop that they go to. 
And you go to the same places over and over again because you know you have a good experience and a more personal experience with those people. And my goal is I want to systematize this so it's not this weird black magic. Like a lot of people look at communities and think, okay, it's a weird mixture of psychology and workflow. I want to make right. it simple for organizations to be able to incorporate into how they do things. Yep. No, that, that makes perfect sense because we look at someone like an Apple. Um, I can't tell you how many times when I've been teaching marketing and I'll say to someone, I've got an Android product or I've got a PC product that's newer than Apple. How many of you Apple users would trade it in? No. Not only will they not trade right. it in, but they start to argue with me about how stupid I am <laughs> not know how good Apple is. So, um, so it becomes part of this. It becomes part of who they are. They really identify with, with the brand. So that's the good news. The question is, there's some pitfalls that can happen when you do this. What have yeah. you seen and what's predictable? How can we avoid some of these things? Yeah, it's a great, it's a really great question. Um, so one of the, the big challenges I think a lot of companies face when they see, you know, they see starters and raising $250 million with crowdfunding. They see SAP and Salesforce with a million plus members. Right. You know, they see all these incredible uh, examples of the ecosystems in action. And they think, I want that for my organization. So um, what will often happen is they'll go out, they'll hire a community manager who will come in. And the community manager will do a lot of the things that community managers do. They'll, they'll write great blog content, they'll do social media, mm -hmm. they'll set up a, a community forum and things such as that. And then in many cases, um, they won't get the results that they want because the community is not delivering the value proposition that the executives in the company want to see, right? So ah. there's almost like a set of goals at the executive level that are not mirrored up and married together with the execution that's going on with the community manager. So one of the things I always recommend to clients is, and that I write about in People Powered is start with value first of all. Like what is the value you want to generate for your users and for your, for your customers? Because if you start there, some companies will focus on, well, what can we get out of a community? You have to start with what you can offer, because otherwise yep. you won't be able to build an effective community. But the second thing is convert that down into a set of crisp um, annual objectives that you yep. like. And this can be a five-page document. I call these big rocks. Because the thing about communities is that it's fundamentally cross-functional. You know, you need your mm -hmm. marketing team involved. You need your product team, your engineering team. And what you do is you want to make sure that all those different departments can get their skin in the game so they can feed into that shared strategy. And this could be setting up a forum. It could be your content strategy. It could be a social media strategy and you know, how these things are married together. But the most important thing is, is get the team working together on this um, and to, and to, so everybody can see their reflection in the strategy. And what's fundamental is, you know, again, what a lot of organizations do is they'll hire a community manager who will do great work. But members of the team in the organization will kind of see that community manager as a bit of an ambassador to the, to the community. So they'll say, okay, yeah. well, if we need to talk to the community about something, we'll go to Sarah and she'll take right. care of it for us. Whereas I think the expectation should be our community is a fundamental part of how we operate. Like we've got our products, we've got our service, and our community, like they're our stakeholders, they're our users, they're, our, they're, they're the people who, who keep us in business. So I'm, we, we should expect everyone in the organization to have a relationship with them. So I think one element is is kind of setting that set of expectations in the same way that a great company will say, here's our set of company values. Like we want to be collaborative, we want to be diverse, we want to be inclusive, all of these values that are really important to us, is setting that expectation, but then supporting your team in how they do that. Because a lot of employees, when they start with a new community, 
you know, they'll be like, well, I don't really know what to do. I don't know how to talk to these folks. I'm worried about putting a foot wrong and getting in trouble. You need to help <laughs> people through that. And the big chunk right. of that is just building a ha- the habit. It takes about 66 days to build a habit with anything, whether it's working right. out or, or anything. Um, is helping to build that habit. And then what you do is you observe the data that you see as your community grows, as you implement that, that, that strategy, and then react to the data. And, you know, it can be a quarterly review of what you're seeing. It could be a six-monthly review. But review it and, in, and encourage your team as a, as a broader group internally to, to hypothesize on why we're seeing that data and how we can improve it. Make it a collaborative effort. Because mm-hmm. what, you'll, what will happen is, your team, your employees, your different departments will feel like they're involved in shaping this, and they'll feel a greater sense of ownership in helping it to be successful. That's what that will help sense. a community to succeed. So. so here's a question that I've seen, too. I've seen a number of people try to implement communities, and they follow all the, you know, it's almost like a recipe, you know, add two eggs and some, some milk and, and flour and, and, you know, right. and put it in the oven. And then it doesn't quite rise to be a cake. <laughs> it's Kind of right, like, well, why right. does that work? Um, and they'll do all these things. But are there some uh, kind of parameters or, or things you should be looking for to say, this is a type of community that's more likely to be successful? For example, I've seen, um, depending on who the audience is, some types of businesses, professions are less likely to have conversations online and trust each other in a community. Software developers, people in technology, very open. Uh, lawyers, for example, right. I knew someone who tried to create a community of lawyers. It was a disaster. They they were always pontificating. Exactly. <laughs> so is right. there something that you see that says this type of community is more likely to succeed? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, what I always recommend is, you know, when, when you first of all define the value you want to see, you know, you want to generate for your, for yep. your overall community, um, the next step in the process is going to be defining a set of target personas. So these are the types of these methods of participation. So again, this is something I kind of walk through this how to do all of this in people powered is, you know, do you want people providing support and answering questions? Do you want people to write documentation? Do you want people to provide translations? Do you want people to write software? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then what you can do is you can evaluate the success of that. And I would always say, look at that target persona within your sector, in your market sector, and to see if there are other good examples of, of, of communities who are doing this. So to use your example, Belinda, like if I'm setting up a, a, a like more of an executive customer-focused advisory board or a customer-focused community, a lot of those folks are just not going to go to a forum. Like they're busy right. leaders. They're just not going to do that, right? So the way in which we communicate there is going to be very different, for example, to a technology-centric audience. We're going to be very comfortable, you know, talking in an electronic setting. And also the types of communication, and I'm sure you've seen this with your many years of experience in marketing, right. the way in which you structure a message for an executive compared to a, you know, let's say somebody who's working as a developer. Right. Like developers are very cynical of typical market messages, whereas exactly. you know, business leaders may be less cynical about that. So I think it's got to start with those target personas. The thing I would always say is, and I, again, provide some of, this, some of this in, in People Powered, that, like, first of all, there's got to be a need for your community. Uh, so there's mm-hmm. got to be a reason why people want to do that. But then structuring it based upon, again, which of those three models, whether it's consumer, whether it's champion, whether it's collaborate, and then the types of personas that you're interested in exploring. And it doesn't take too long before you'll be able to see whether you can get a sense of whether this is going to work or not. 
The one thing I would always recommend as well as part of the collaborative process of encouraging your team to play a role in this is say, like, what do you think, what do you folks think? Do you think we're likely? Like, for example, <laughs> if you, I was, you know, with a client I was chatting to a few days ago, we were talking about this customer community. And I said to them, like, let's talk to your sales team about whether they think that customers are likely to participate in this. The sales team are going to know these customers better than anyone. Um, and then I think what happens is the, 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 the general probability of success tends to then uh, manifest itself. And, you know, some communities are well-documented, like lots of communities out there that provide support, lots that do engineering, lots that do advocacy, uh, lots right. that generate content. You know, that's how I would go about approaching it. So how is this different going? You have either public communities or private communities. So, we, you know, we're, we're to most of these are, are kind of public communities and various organizations are mm. together. What's different when you have a private community? Yeah, so um, I've worked with a number of organizations, uh, primarily large banks in the financial services sector, um, where they want to build private communities. And one of the reasons why typically, I mean, there's two types of private communities. There's communities that you need an invite to join, uh, and right. that could be a good example of that is a customer advisory board, which is a little mini mm-hmm. community for people that, you know, you don't, not anyone can join that. And then the other, using using these banks as an example, are organizations that want to build an internal community and um, primarily as a means of increasing collaboration and breaking down silos. Um, okay. Now, with that type, one of the key elements here, I think, for internal corporate communities is you you have to be able to make time for people to participate because one of the challenges a lot of companies face here is they set up these internal communities, but everyone's so busy with their day <laughs> job that they can never find the time. So they're basically expected to do this in their spare time. And their unsurprisingly, spare time, yeah. unsurprisingly not a popular it. option. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. So an element of this is is making time for people. And I would always encourage companies to try to do that to basically start by building a small set of shared projects. So it could be, you know, we're going to work together, for example, on a um, on a blog series, and maybe that's going to be pulled together the marketing team, the product team, an engineering team to kind of collaborate on a set of content. Start there, see how well it works, put in place some communication channels where people can collaborate, and then go from there and gradually bit by bit build and build and build. What I would never recommend to an internal company like that is to come up with a massive community initiative right out of the gate because it's more likely to fail than it is to succeed. I'd start small and build on top of it. Yep. Um, and then with the other type of private community, like a customer advisory board type environment where people are invited to join, I don't think they're massively dissimilar from a lot of public communities. You need, a, you need a, to, to be clear on the value and you need to be clear on how you incentivize people to play a role in it because that to me is one of the most fundamental elements is how do you understand your audience, which is taught, which is designing your personas, and then how do you understand the kinds of incentives that yep. will get people to participate? So, for example, an incentive for a business leader is going to be to grow their business. Yeah. Right? Um, if they can, if they can grow their business and play a role in your community, they'll be there. There's no doubt about right. it. Um, but an incentive, for example, for a hobbyist documentation writer, that's probably more going to be about seeing their work consumed and maybe a little bit of personal recognition as the author right. of that work, the incentives are very different. Got it. Got it. So let's talk a little bit about social media. Uh, yeah. And, 
and let's talk a little bit. We have this outrage culture where everybody is upset about everything. Um, okay. I actually talked about this in my Top of Mind Thursday last week where I said, um, Maya Angelou said, when someone tells you who they are, believe them. But we don't. We say, oh, this happened again. That happened again. And how did they do right. this? How did they do that? And so we have this culture where everybody is upset about everything, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or whatever. Um, how do you keep a community healthy and avoid going into that whole do- toxic kind of downhill spiral? It's a really fantastic question. And, uh, yeah, it is definitely becoming a, a pretty common trait, I think, that we're seeing every day. And, and I think the outrage culture is not quite as bad as we think it might be because I think it becomes news. So it appears that it's everywhere, but I think it's just really newsworthy. Uh, And I actually think that when I look at most people who I see every day, most people aren't engaging in that kind of reaction. Um, It's just a small group of people. So I think that's one element. To me, the the, the key thing that relates to communities, and I would apply this not just to, you know, intentional communities, but I would apply this to families, to local book clubs, to businesses, uh, any group of people is – Great leaders have their behavior mimicked by the people in their in their mm. group, right? So if you've got a great leader in an organization and they demonstrate empathy and collaboration and understanding and they're down to earth, but they're visionary, you will see that kind of behavior in the people who work for that leader. Um, right. If you see somebody who's aggressive, who's egotistical, who's narcissistic, who is disrespectful, um, you will especially, I think, in the, in the, in the direct reports into that person, they will think that that's the way in which they operate in that organization. And then it kind of mirrors downhill. It's a mimic effect that tends to happen. Yes, it's kind of based right. upon this, like a diffusion chain, which is the psychology of it. So I think it's really important, first of all, is that you always want to make sure that you've got clear standards of practice. Like increasingly in recent years, we've seen more and more of an understanding and focus on diversity and inclusion, which I think is really valuable. So, for example, yeah. codes of conduct have become a much more commonplace element in, in events and online communities, which is great. But to me, that's not where it starts. Like, it's really important to then have that quality of leadership. And I think the thing we forget, especially in the business world, and I think a lot of people who are brand new to their respective industry don't realize, is great leadership doesn't come natural to a lot of people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we need to really be intentional in A, setting a set of values, and B, um, training people in how to be great leaders. So, um, you know, I used to work for an organization, for example, and it was very explicit in in training people in how to, for example, deal with conflict resolution, which is very common in most companies. But no one, yep. very few companies actually provide any support to the employees on how to do this. So to me, part of the symptom of outrage culture is that, people don't have the tools that they need to be able to solve that problem. So they immediately go nuclear. Yep. And I think there's a generational element to this where I think years ago, people felt like the nuclear option of outrage was basically, it was the nuclear option. You don't do it. But I think increasingly <laughs> we like do what's it. happening. It, <laughs> we blow up yeah, the world. I think, yes. <laughs> well, I, th- I think what's starting to happen here is people are using the nuclear option because they feel like it's the only way in which they can get, the outcome that they desire. Yeah. And my well, they're take trying to get heard above all this noise. Yeah. I mean, because there's so right. much of this going on. And if, if I don't make a big enough blast, no one will even know that I'm talking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and my take on this is I think there are other ways in which you can accomplish those results. 
but I think it's important to be able to provide people with a framework in which to do that. Um, and, and you know, it's tricky because this all requires time. It all requires focus. But, like, some of the best people who I've ever worked with, it's amazing how deft they can be at diffusing complicated scenarios. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and so I think equipping people with that kind of approach is 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 really important. Great. Fantastic. We've been talking here with John O'Bacon, who is a leading community and management strategy consultant, and he is the author of several books on community, including uh, People Powered and, uh, and the Art of Community. So before we go any further, John, if people want to find out more about you and your books, where would they go? So the best place to go to is, is my website, johnobacon.com. That's J-O-N-O, kind of like Bono, but with a J. <laughs> <laughs> and without the talent, uh, yep. johnobacon.com. Um, you can find out more about it there. And People Powered is, is going to be published on the on the 12th of November, 2019, by HarperCollins Leadership. Um, and I actually, right now, as we record this, I have a, a pre-order package where people who pre-order the book can get access to, like, a whole knowledge base of additional information and additional books and a six-part video series and a whole bunch of discounts and offers. Um, some 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 one-on-one webinars. So, um, and that's so all on your website, added right? Value. All so on if you go website. to johnobacon.com, you will find all that great information. Fantastic. Yep. So we could talk about this all day because it's fascinating. But I want to ask you one more question: Where do you see the future yep. of communities going? What? How do we kind of outdo what we've already done so far? Where might we be going next? So it's it's a great question. To me, the future is is really exciting in this because I you know with the We've seen a consistent growth in access and availability of technology, right? So mm-hmm. I forget the exact statistics, something like 85% of millennials have got a smartphone. We're seeing internet access growing around the world, especially in developing nations. Right. Uh, and the availability of technology has become a real commodity. So now everybody has got um, a way to connect, or more and more people are getting a way to connect. And I think this, this creates an opportunity to build uh, communities around the world, both per, in person and online. And I, I think that where the future in my mind is going is social media was uh, was a disruptive norm and giving everybody an opportunity to have a, a loudspeaker, and that's been mm-hmm. great. Um, but I think communities are going to be the next wave of business where we realize that in as much as it's important to Build a great product and 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 ha- you know do great marketing and and have a great relationship with your customers. Bringing your customers together, bringing your users together into a meaningful environment is going to be, I think, a, a significant competitive advantage. I think what we're going to see is more books, more platforms, more content, more conferences that are going to be um, pertaining to that. So I think mm-hmm. this is going to be the next wave of business. So. Interesting. I'm looking forward to it. Again, we've been here with John O'Bacon. John, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts about community with us. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Okay. This is Linda Popke. Until next time, thank you for listening to Marketing Thought Leadership. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Marketing Thought Leadership, brought to you by L2M Associates. If you'd like to find out how you can improve the return on your investment in marketing programs, processes, or people, Contact us at www.l2massociates.com.